This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by IBM Cloud, the most open and secure public cloud for business. This week, I chat with Jason McGee about going serverless with IBM Cloud Code Engine. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 95. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm joined by Jason McGee. Hey, Jason, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you are an IBM fellow and the VP and CTO of the IBM Cloud Platform. So I'd love it if you could tell our guests a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do at IBM. Sure. Um, I spend my day at IBM worried about uh, developers and platform services on our public cloud. So I'm responsible for both the technical strategy and the delivery of our uh, Kubernetes and OpenShift platforms, our serverless environments, uh, and kind of all the things that surround that space, you know, uh, logging and monitoring and and uh, other developer tools that kind of make up the developer platform for IBM Cloud. And what about yourself? What's your background? Uh, you know, been a software kind of middleware guy my whole life. I used to be the chief architect for Webster App Server, so I spent the last twenty plus years working on you know enterprise application platforms and helping companies, you know, be able to build uh, you know mission critical business systems. Awesome. So um, I had Michael Barrett on the show not too long ago, um, yep. and uh, and it was great. We talked about a whole bunch of different things, IBM's point of view of serverless. We talked a little bit about the future serverless, um, and we talked about the IBM uh, cloud code engine, which I, I want to get into. But um, for the benefit of our listeners, and just because I'm so fascinated by some of the things that IBM is doing now with serverless, it's just super interesting. So could you sort of give me you know your point of view or IBM's point of view on serverless and just sort of refresh the listener's memory sort of about how IBM is thinking about serverless and how they're probably thinking about it maybe differently than some of the other cloud providers? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's such a fascinating space and it's really changed a lot, I think, over the last you know five years or so um, from its kind of maybe beginnings in being very aligned with serverless functions and kind of event-driven computing and, and becoming a more general concept about how developers especially can consume cloud platforms. Um, you know, I think if you look at the IBM perspective on serverless, there's a couple layers um, to the problem that we think about. First is we've been pretty clear that we think Kubernetes and, and distributions of Kubernetes like OpenShift are kind of the key foundation compute environment for uh, developers to use going forward. And we've done a ton of work in, in kind of building out our, our Kubernetes and OpenShift platforms and delivering them as a service on our public cloud. And that's an incredibly flexible platform that you know you can really build any kind of application. I think over the last five years, we've proven we can run anything on Kubernetes databases and AI and stateless apps and whatever you want. Right. Um, so very, very flexible. Um, however, sometimes flexible also means complicated. Right. Uh, and it means <laughs> that you know there's lots to manage and there's lots of concepts to get your head around. Um, and so we've been thinking a lot about, well, how do you actually consume a platform like Kubernetes more easily? How does a developer stay more focused on what they're really trying to do, which is like build application logic, you know, solve problems. You know, they don't really want to stand up kube clusters and configure, you know, security policies. They just want to write code and run code, uh, and they want to get the power of cloud to do that, right? And so I think serverless has kind of morphed to be 
for us more about the experience that we can build on top of that container platform that's more oriented around how developers get work done and allows them to kind of more easily take advantage of the scale and power of public clouds um, without having to kind of take on the burden of a lot of that kind of work and management. Um, and so the work that we've been doing is really aligned in that direction that, you know, we've been working in projects like Knative in the open source community to build simpler abstractions on top of Kubernetes. Uh, and we've been starting to deliver those in our cloud uh, through things like Code Engine. Yeah. And I, I think that's interesting too, because I always have a, it's probably the wrong way to say it, but it's sort of a chip on my shoulder about uh, Kubernetes because it just got so complicated, right? It's just so right. many things that you have to do, so hard to manage. Um, and as a serverless guy myself, I, I love just the simplicity of being able to write some code and just get it out there, have it auto scale, you know, tie into all those events. Um, so I think that, that a lot of cloud providers have sort of moved that way to say like, well, we're going to manage your, um, you're going to manage your Kubernetes cluster for you, right? Which essentially is just, I think, moving backwards, but also moving forwards at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but so in terms of like the use cases that this opens up, because now you're not necessarily limited to, um, you're not limited to a sort of bespoke implementation of some serverless platform, you have a lot more capabilities. So what types, of, what types of use cases does this open up? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I have a couple of comments on that. I mean, so I think with Kubernetes, you have the complexity of managing the Kubernetes environment. But even if that's totally taken care of for you, and you, even if you're using a managed Kubernetes service like the, like the things we offer on IBM Cloud, you still have the kind of resource burden of using Kubernetes. You know, you have services right. and pods and replica sets and namespaces and all kinds of concepts that you have to kind of wrap your head around uh, and know how to use in the right way. And 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 so there's a value in like, can we abstract that? Can we move away from that? And it's not like this idea hasn't been tried before. I mean, you know, we've had PaaS platforms, you know, like the kind of Cloud Foundry style, Heroku, like very opinionated PaaS environments in the past. And they definitely simplify the user experience. However, they came with like this negative, which is if you don't fit within the box of the opinion, Right. then you can't do what you want to do. And the the cost of going outside the box was super high. Like maybe you had to completely switch platforms. You were completely blocked. You had to switch to some other approach. And so part of what's informing us in, in as we think about this is how do you have more of a continuum? You have a simple model. It's aligned around what you're doing. Like just run my source code, just run my container image. I want to run a batch job. But it's all running on one platform. They're running next to each other. You can drop down a layer into Kubernetes if you want to. Like if, if what you're trying to accomplish needs some of that flexibility, you should have access to it without having to kind of start over. Um, and so that's kind of how we've approached the problem a little bit differently is bringing this all together into kind of one unified serverless environment on top of Kubernetes. And that lets us handle different use cases. It lets us handle kind of stateless, you know, data processing and functions that lets us handle simple web apps that lets us handle um, very data intensive, like high scale computation and data processing, um, async processing like batch all in one combined way. Right. Yeah. And and I, I think it's interesting because there are artificial limitations maybe put in place sometimes on serverless platforms. You know, if you think about AWS Lambda, for example, you get 15 yeah. minutes of um, of compute and, and they bump things up. So now and again, I'm more of an I've just sort of grew up in the AWS environment. But, um, yeah. you know, they have things like 10 gigs for a function or something like that. And so they've increased these things, but they are sort of artificial limits um, that 
I think depending on the type of workload that you're doing, they can really get in your way, especially if, like right. you said, you're doing these data intensive things. So from an IBM perspective, I mean, that's sort of gone, right? Right, exactly. That's a great, a great, very concrete way to look at the problem. Like the approaches that have been taken in some of the other cloud environments is these different, these different use cases like serverless functions, uh, single containers, batch processing. They're, they're like different services and every right. service has its own kind of limitations or rules about what you can and cannot do, how long your thing can execute, how big your code can be, how much data you can transfer. Um, we've taken a different approach to say, let's eliminate all those limits. Mm -hmm. And let's have one logical service, one environment that supports all those styles. We can still expose a simplified kind of consumption model for the developer, like just give me your source code or just give me your image. But I can run it in a way that doesn't have those computational limits. And therefore, I can do more, right? I can run more kinds of workloads. I, I don't run up against some of those walls that kind of stop me from getting my work done. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, and I like that approach too, because I'm a big fan of managed services. I think that, you know, if you have a service that does, you know, image recognition for you, that's great. And do you have a service right. that does queuing for you? That's great. Um, but in some cases you start stringing together so many different services and if I feel like you lose a lot of that control. So I like that idea of just be, basically being able to say, look, I've got the compute. I can do whatever I need to do with it. It will scale to whatever I need it to scale to. Um, and I think that's where this, I, this idea of IBM, uh, cloud code engine comes in, which just right. became GA. So I'd love it if you could uh, tell the listeners exactly what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So so code engine is the new service that we launched that makes some of these concepts I've been talking mm -hmm. about real. Um, it is a, a service that allows developers to deploy functions, containers, mm -hmm. uh, source code, batch jobs uh, into IBM Cloud. Uh, the entire environment behind that uh, that application is managed for you. So we handle, you don't manage clusters, you don't provision infrastructure, you can scale all the way to zero. So you can mm -hmm. like literally only pay for what you're using. You can scale up to thousands of cores that are you know in parallel processing your application. Uh, and we manage that entire runtime environment for you. So you can think of it as a you know, multi-tenant, you know, shared Kubernetes-based runtime environment that you can run your workloads on that presents to you the personality that you need for different workloads. And because it's all in one service, if you have an application that's like a mix of, you know, some single containers and batch jobs, like they can actually talk to each other. Right. They can talk to each other over a private network connection. Like they can work together instead of being kind of siloed in these completely different environments. Right. Yeah. And so from the, the, the developer, I guess, perspective, you had, you had mentioned that you can deploy just code or you could deploy a container if you want to. So like, what does that, what does that developer experience look like? Like, so is this something where I could just say, look, I don't need, uh, I don't need to have a whole ops team now managing this for me. Like if I just want to write code, deploy it into these things, yeah. I'm sure there's some things I need to know, but for the most part, what does that developer experience look like? Yeah, so so um, you absolutely could do it without a whole ops team. The the experience right now there's like maybe kind of three basic entry points. You can give me source code, and we will take care of compiling that source code, combining it with a runtime, executing it for you, giving it a web endpoint, scaling it. You can give me some hints about kind of how much resource you think you need and things like that, and we can scale that up and down um, and manage it for you, including all the way down to zero. Um, that's nice, you know, if you're like coming from a maybe a historical PaaS background where it's just like, here's my code, run it for me. 
um, you can have that experience with Code Engine. Um, you could also start with a container image. So lots of developers now, because of things like Kubernetes and Docker, are very familiar and comfortable with like packaging up their application as a container image. But you don't want to then deal with like creating a cluster and dealing with kubes. So you can just say like, here's my image, run it for me. And one of the advantages we have with Code Engine is we can really do that with any container image. Like you don't have to have a container image that follows some particular framework that's built in a very special way. Like we can take any container image and you can just literally like point me at the image and say like, run this for me and Code Engine will execute it and scale it and manage it for you. Or you can start with a batch job interface. So like more of an async, kind of parallel job submission model. So maybe I'm doing Monte Carlo simulations or data processing and, and I want to parallelize that um, across a whole bunch of machines and cores, um, you know, uh, code and gives you an interface for that. So as a developer, you kind of start with one of those three entry points and let Code Engine take care of, you know, how to run that and scale it and keep it highly available and things like that. Right. So I love I, I love the idea of the batch jobs. I want to talk about that a little bit more, but let's let's uh, go back to some of the use cases here. So like, what if I was building just like a REST API? That seems to be a very popular serverless use case. Uh, yep. what, what would I do for that? Do I need to, you know, uh, do I need to have some sort of a API type gateway type thing in front of it? Or how does that work? No, Code Engine provides all that for you. So you would literally either just take your your implementation and package it in a container or point us at your source code directory. If, if you have source code, we, we use things like Paquetto build packs to like build a runtime around that source code. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can use different languages. So you can either point us, you know, with our CLI tool, you point us at the source code directory and we'll build it and package it in a runtime and run it for you. Or you point us at a container image that you've uploaded to our container registry or uh, to your container registry of choice. Um, and then, uh, you know, Code Engine will execute that for you. It will give you that web endpoint, right? So it'll give you a HTTP endpoint that you can use to access that service. And it will watch the demand on that system and scale it up and down as needed. And, and by default, we'll just scale it to zero. So it'll just be kind of registered in the system. Um, and, you know, it'll take care of scaling it up as needed to handle the demand on the app. All right, cool. And then what about these batch jobs? So uh, I talked a little bit about this with Michael and, and this idea yeah. of being able to run, you know, massively parallel execution. So how does that all work? Yeah, so um, similar, obviously with batch, there's a little bit more kind of metadata that you have to provide to describe the job and, and you know, what you want to execute and how things relate to each other. So there's a, there's some input data you provide along with the implementation of the batch job, which itself could just be like a container image. Um, and you submit that job. So the CLI interface is a little bit different. You're not standing up a long running, you know, REST endpoint. You're submitting a job to Code Engine for execution, and it will go take that job and, and execute it and parallelize it for you. You know, you could also use frameworks on top. Like one of the things we've been we've been doing a lot of work on. Maybe Michael talked about it a little bit when he was here. Is is uh, some work we're doing around Ray. Ray is a really interesting new project um, that lets you do kind of distributed computing. Uh, especially around data workloads in a really easy way. Uh, and so you can actually stand up Ray on top of Code Engine. And so Ray acts as kind of the application interface for the developer to be able to easily parallelize their code, particularly Python code. Uh, and then Code Engine acts as the runtime below it. And you know, you can take a simple function in Python, mark it as like Ray Remote, and it'll now execute on the cloud and like distribute itself across a thousand cores. And you get your answer back, you know. 20 times faster than you would have, you know, running it locally. Uh, and so you can have those kinds of async 
um, environments as well. Awesome. Um, and so what about some customers? So do you have customers that are having success with this now? Yeah, we have we have a number. I mean, uh, we we have uh, the European Microbiology Laboratory, which is using it to do uh, science processing and provide access for scientists to you know the large scale compute environments of the cloud. We have some airlines that are that are uh, are leveraging this. You know, the airline scenarios. I think the scenario is actually kind of interesting because it shows the power of of combining you know, REST endpoints, like more interactive workloads with batch workloads. In their case, they're they're exploring using it to do dynamic pricing. You know, so if you think about how you do dynamic pricing, there's kind of two dimensions. It's like there's a very interactive, like somebody is getting a price on a ticket or a route, and you want to be able to present them with dynamic price information as part of that, you know, web interaction. But then there's like a data processing angle. You're looking at all kinds of data uh, coming from your backend systems, from you know route data, um, uh, from the fleet and historical information, and you're trying to decide what the right price table is for that route. And so you're doing batch processing um, in the background, and then you're doing this interactive processing. You can implement both halves on serverless with Code Engine, and they scale as needed. Like if you're right. getting a lot of traffic on the web front end, it scales up as needed. Um, you know, without you having to do anything. So they can kind of combine both halves in one environment. Right, right. And so in terms of, I, I think we kind of talked about this a little bit, but when you see all these different services, right? And no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, uh, Google's, uh, you know, Kubernetes uh, uh, engine that they run, right. or it's uh, EKS on, on AWS or something like that. I think a lot of people look at these and like, oh, it's just another managed IB or another managed Kubernetes cluster, right? So, sure. like, what what are the major differences? I know we talked about it a little bit, but maybe you could just be a little bit more succinct and and sort of talk about what, like, why is it so different than other, you know, sort of previous generations of tools or some of the other competing products out there? Yeah. So, so, so if you look kind of behind the curtain on Code Engine, you'd see a couple things. One is that there is Kubernetes there. There is a Kubernetes environment there. The difference is um, that. Kubernetes environment is completely managed by the Code Engine service. So we're not, you know, if you look at, you know, in IBM Cloud, we have uh, the IBM Cloud Kubernetes service and our Red Hat OpenShift service. So in those services, we're managing a cluster on your behalf, but we give you the cluster. Like you, it's like, here's your kube cluster, we'll manage its lifecycle, but you have direct access to it. Mm -hmm. With Code Engine, we have a kube cluster there. We completely manage it in all respects. You have no kind of direct access to it. Um, that allows us to manage scale and capacity. We run that in a multi-tenant way. I mean, we have security and isolation between tenants, but logically you can think of it as like a big kube cluster that lots of users are sharing, uh, which is how the pay-as-you-go model ultimately works because we're, we're keeping track of what you're actually running and just charging you for that. Um, so one part of it is like fully managing that runtime environment. We've layered on top of that things like Knative so that we have that developer abstraction, like a simpler way to define services to do the source code and image stuff that I talked about. That's coming through largely through things like Knative, which again, we're completely running for you, but it gives you some of that simple interface yeah. uh, that we talked about. And we're doing that in, in an open source way with the community. So it's not like, you know, proprietary to IBM Cloud. Um, and then on top of that, we built kind of the batch processing system, so batch scheduling, and some of these unique interfaces, you know, the command line interface and the user experience to get into that environment um, for the different workflows that I talked about. And one of the cool things is because we built it on top of that Kubernetes layer, we can also expose the Kubernetes API if we want. Mm. 
So like the Ray example I gave you, like Ray doesn't really know anything about Code Engine, but Ray knows how to deploy and leverage a Kube cluster. So we're able to actually hand Ray the Kubernetes API server endpoint right. inside of Code Engine for your instance. And you can that framework can use Kubernetes to stand itself up. And then you can use the kind of simple abstractions on top. And that's still all in Code Engine. It still pays you go and still scales to zero. And, and so there, that, that's what I meant by this. You can kind of blend the lines and drop down to, you know, or the framework can drop down to right. something like Kubernetes as needed to give you that flexibility. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, so you mentioned, you know, like you have a fully managed Kubernetes service, um, and then you also have a bunch of other serverless services that run um, within the IBM cloud. So OpenWhisk, yeah. uh, or I guess IBM Cloud Functions now. Um, and then also, I mean, you mentioned Cloud Foundry, which is sort of a pass, but it also yep. is like a so I, it's sort of also sort of like a easy to use like serverless yeah. environment in a sense, right? Um, and so, so I guess. Is this like an evolution? Like, is this where you suggest people go? Yeah, yeah. So I think the simplest way to think about it is yes, Code Engine is the evolution of those ideas. Um, it's not always a direct, doesn't necessarily have a direct technical lineage always between those yeah. projects. But the the problem that uh, functions with IBM Cloud Functions and Whisk was trying to solve, and the problem that Cloud Foundry was trying to solve with like uh, source code, start from source code paths. Mm -hmm. are both represented in what we're doing in Code Engine. So Code Engine will be the kind of natural evolution path for those workloads and for the, the problems that those users are, are using those platforms for. The Cloud Foundry one, I think, is super interesting, you know, in the sense that um, with the rise of Kubernetes has clearly um, pivoted many people who were doing Cloud Foundry into doing Kubernetes. Yeah. Um, and people are using Kubernetes um, as their foundation. Uh, and, the, and the Cloud Foundry project, which we're deeply involved in, has done a lot of work to kind of realign Cloud Foundry with Kubernetes in a better way. Um, but what never went away, like what people always still saw value in with Cloud Foundry was the simple like push my source code developer experience, mm -hmm. right? And so that still carries forward. And with, Cloud, with uh, Code Engine, we're taking that same experience that we had in Cloud Foundry and we're bringing it into this new service and bringing it onto Kubernetes. So, so the developer still gets that similar experience, but without the boundaries that we talked about. You know, the challenge with right. Cloud Foundry was always like, oh, as soon as you want to do stateful things or you want to do, you know, async jobs like Cloud Foundry didn't solve that problem, go use a Kube cluster or go use some completely different right. environment. Uh, and so it's kind of the same experience with the boundaries removed, and and that's where we would see people go. Right. So if I'm if I'm in one of those services now, if I've got things written in you know in in Cloud Functions or uh, in Cloud Foundry, um, you know, I, and I've hit some of those limits, or I just want to take advantage of some of the, the cool new things that Code Engine does, is there like a simple migration path for for those? Yeah. In general, yes. Uh, for Cloud Foundry, for sure, it's pretty straightforward to take the same source code directory that you have and just push it to Code Engine instead, right? Okay. So I think the path for a Cloud Foundry, I mean, there's edge cases with everything, obviously, but right. but um, the, the basic workflow is the same. You can use the same source input directories. Um, we map to Paquetto build packs, which Cloud Foundry is, um, you know, yeah. there's a lot of that stuff came out of Cloud Foundry. And so that has a really clean path. Um, for Cloud Functions, um, 
There's a little bit of a, you know, timing thing. In general, yeah, you can take your same functions. You can run them on Code Engine. Uh, OpenWhisk has some advantages still that we haven't quite gotten built into Code Engine yet. Like it's it's got faster startup times, for example, mm-hmm. right? Like the runtime model behind uh, Code Engine, we're still starting a container, like a full container. In OpenWhisk, we had done a bunch of work on uh, warm start of containers and container pooling so we can get like, you know, small number of millisecond startup times right. on, yep. on those functions. Uh, and some of that hasn't worked its way into code engine yet. So there are still some cases with cloud functions where um, it has some capability that doesn't quite exist in code engine yet. But over time that will get filled in and and you know there'll be a simple path there uh, to move all those workloads over to code engine as well. All right. So with code engine, because uh, you mentioned this idea of sort of like the cold starts. Um, so does code engine keep uh, keep containers warm for a certain amount of time, or is it always a cold start? Uh, it, it, it is in general a cold start. It can keep some of them like in the scale up, scale down cycle, it may keep them around for a while. So it doesn't gotcha. overly be overly aggressive about scaling them down and bringing them right back. But it's not doing some of the warm start tricks yet that, that okay. OpenWhisk was doing. Uh, where we have like a pool of primed container instances, and then we're injecting, you know, code into them and running them. Um, that's that's work in progress. There's work to do both in Knative to improve that stack, uh, and then stuff to do in in Code Engine. There's a balancing act there too, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, on on things like network isolation and getting on customer VPC networks and other things, which are harder to do in that, you know, warm start model. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So if somebody wanted to get started with um, Code Engine, like what's the best way for them to do that? Just start writing, you know, sign up and start writing some code or, or how do they do it? <laughs> yeah, kind of. I mean, it's, uh, you know, obviously we've been talking a lot about how developers use these things. And so I always think the best way to get started is to is either to build something on it or to try out some specific uh, source code project. We have a lot of things that we've done to try to make that easy. So um, there's a code engine landing page on IBM Cloud. Um, it, it'll it has some great examples to guide you through, like those three starting points I talked about: start from source code, start from image, yep. and do batch. Um, you know, we have some some really nice tutorials, like specific like text analysis tutorials, for example, show you how to build applications um, on Code Engine. And we actually have a pretty cool Git repo, which will take you through tons of samples of like how to use Code Engine to solve all kinds of problems. So there's a lot of really good code assets out there that a developer could go to and actually try something real on Code Engine. And, and the getting started experience is super easy. You know, you've got IBM Cloud, you log in, you go to Code Engine, you create a project, you push an image, and in a, you know, a couple minutes, you'll have something up and running uh, that you can play with. Amazing. Um, all right, so I, I love watching the evolution of things. And again, just this different way that that IBM is thinking about serverless and um, and just trying, again, trying to make it easier. Because I always look back and I think of Lambda when it first came out, I was like, oh, so easy. Just put some code there and it's just done for you. And then we right. got more and more complex and more and more complex. And not that we didn't need to. I mean, some of this complexity is absolutely necessary. Um, but I'm just curious, like seeing the evolution and where, you know, where things have gone. Because I actually talked to, um, uh, you know, I talked to a bunch of people earlier about about um, you know the just uh, 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 Roderick Rabba, for example, who was one of the first you know first per, uh, people uh, involved with the IBM or the OpenWhisk project. Uh, I guess it was Apache OpenWhisk, where we came Apache OpenWhisk, whatever it was. Yeah. But yeah. seeing that evolution and seeing the changes that these different cloud providers have gone through, seeing the changes that IBM has gone through, and where you you sort of are now with um, you know Cloud Code Engine. 
Like, I'd love to get your perspective here on where you think this is going. Like, not just maybe what the future is for IBM, but what you think the future of serverless is and, and just cloud computing maybe in general. I know that's a long yeah. question, but. <laughs> I'll give you a long answer. Um, <laughs> Perfect. So I, th th that brings to mind two things. First, uh, let me talk about the complexity thing for a second. Um, managing complexity is always hard. Like you, you are so right that many things start out with a value prop of like, this is easy. And then as people use them more, you add more. And then three years later, we're like, we need a new thing that's easy because that okay. other thing is too hard now. Um, and, and there's no magic pill for that. Like that's always a hard problem to manage. However, one of the things I like about the approach that we're trying to take with Code Engine is because we've layered it on Kubernetes. Um, it gives us a way to kind of decide where we want that complexity to show up. When when we had a code like Cloud Functions, you know, open with stack, and we had a Cloud Foundry stack, and you had a Kubernetes stack, you had to try to solve all problems within each stack. So each stack was getting more complex because you were trying to like, oh, I need storage, and I need like private networking, and I need all these things. With Code Engine, I think we have an opportunity to say, once you cross some line, we're just going to ask you to drop down a layer and go use it directly in Kubernetes, right? Like you can push some of the complexity down and that allows us to hold a harder line on complexity in the developer layer on top. So it's the balancing act we're trying to play is like, because we built it on a common platform, we don't have to solve all problems in Code Engine directly. Right. Um, so that's kind of my viewpoint on, on like the complexity problem. On the evolution, it's really interesting. So one of the other things that my team's working on uh, and launched recently is this thing called IBM Cloud Satellite, which is about distributing cloud mm -hmm. um, outside of cloud data center. So you can kind of consume cloud services anywhere you want. So cloud computing in general, and this is not just an IBM thing, like in the industry, cloud computing is diversifying to be a kind of omnipresent, like you can consume cloud on-prem at the edge in our cloud data centers, wherever you want. Um, there's a programming model dimension to that problem too. Like as you especially go to the edge, you kind of want some of these like simple to consume, easy to deploy, scale to zero, resource efficient. You need some kind of model like that because at the edge, especially you don't have 2000 cores worth of compute to go deal with. Right. You have like one box in a retail store, or you have like two servers in the back of the distribution center. Um, and so I think things like Code Engine layered on top of distributed cloud, and in our case, things like satellite, is actually a really powerful combination. I think we're going to see serverless become the dominant application development and deployment model, especially for these edge use cases, because it combines ease of deployment and management with efficiency and like scale to zero footprint, which are all really attractive when you get outside of a mega data center like you have in cloud. Right, right. So I love this idea too about, you know, sort of expose expose the complexity when the complexity needs to be exposed. Like I love this right. idea of sort of like creating sane defaults, right? Like if you could default Kubernetes to do all the optimal things that you would need it to do for use case X, if you could just do that for me. And then if I say, oh, I want to tweak this one thing, then, you know, then be able to kind of go down to that level. But um, I love this idea you mentioned about edge too, because that's one of those things that I think from a, a programming model, as you said, how do you write code that knows that's sort of like, I guess, environment aware? Like, how does it know it's running at the edge versus running in a data center versus running maybe, right. you know, in a hybrid cloud and, and partially in your own private cloud or your own private uh, data center? Like, 
like that model, just wrapping your head around it from a developer standpoint, I think is in, in you know incredibly complex right there. Yeah, it is. And and sometimes it's like, how do they know? And then sometimes it's like, how do I just operate at a high enough level of abstraction that like mm -hmm. the differences between those environments can get handled below me? You know, if I'm if I'm consuming Kubernetes clusters directly, the shape of that Kubernetes cluster in like a retail store or a telco data center in Atlanta somewhere or in the cloud are going to all be different because like you have a different amount of capacity of a different right. networking environment. So you're going to have to deal with the differences. If I'm giving you like a container image and saying, run this, the developer doesn't have to deal with those differences. Like the provider might have to deal with those differences, but the developer doesn't have to deal with those differences. So that's where I think things like serverless and, and approaches like code engine really come to be much more valuable because like you're just dealing at this higher level of abstraction and right. and then satellite and code engine and other services can kind of magically deal with the complexity for you. Yeah. And so I, I know you, you you talk a lot about Kubernetes and what's running, you know, underneath a lot of these services. Is that something you see though as being that common that sort of common format across all these different services? Or do you think that something will evolve beyond Kubernetes to become a standard? Um, right now, I really think that Kubernetes will become the base platform. Um, what Kubernetes is will probably, you know, keep evolving. And I'm not saying, you know, it's Kubernetes forever, but I, I don't think we should underestimate the power of the kind of industry-wide alignment that exists around, um, around containerization and Kubernetes as the next infrastructure platform, if you will, which, cause that's kind of really what it is. Right. Um, and you know, I, I told you at the beginning, I, I used to, uh, build webs for app server. So I was like very involved in the whole like Java app server era, uh, you know, right. of the late nineties and early two thousands. And, and at that time, like the industry kind of aligned around two platforms like Java and .NET as like the two dominant, at least enterprise application platforms. Um, you know, we have everyone aligned on Kube. Like literally there's nobody in the industry who's not like right. Kubernetes is the platform. So I think it will be the abstraction for infrastructure in all these environments. The question will be, how do you consume it? Like who manages it? How's it delivered? How does it optimize itself? And then at what level do you consume? And I still think, and I don't think code engine is the end of it at all. I think there's lots of room for um, improving the consumption experience on top of Kubernetes um, for you know these developer use cases. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually was gonna be my next question, sort of like, you know, where do you see what's the next evolution of Code Engine, right? Like, so is that is that going to be, um, you know, kind of driving into specific use cases more and trying to solve those, or becoming more flexible? Like, how do you see, like, how do you see the developers? I don't know. In five years, maybe this is probably a hard question, but in five years, like, how are we going to be writing cloud applications? Yeah, it's a it's a, a great and super hard question, but like, <laughs> I, I think um, projects like Ray, I think, are an interesting forward look into where this might go. Like one of the things that I've always felt like, if I look at the whole history of PaaS in particular over the last five, six, seven years, PaaS has always been about simplifying the experience for the developers, but fundamentally most PaaS environments don't change anything about how you write the code. Yeah. They change like how you package the code, how you deploy the code, how the code is executed and how the dependencies of the code are satisfied. But the actual code you write probably wasn't any different, right? 
And that's where I think there's like the next step is like, how do we actually get into the languages, into the code structure itself to be able to take advantage of cloud capacity, to be able to take advantage of scale? And you and there's lots of projects that have taken attempts at that. Ray, as an example, I think is a particularly interesting one because like there's there's some good examples where you can take like a Python function and you literally add like one annotation to it in the language and now it becomes like remotely executable and horizontally scalable right, for you. Right. It's that kind of stuff that I think three or four years from now, there'll be a lot more of where we're actually changing how code is written because that code can assume there's some, you know, containerized scalable fabric out there somewhere that they can go execute on top of. Right. Yeah. And I think that that pendulum swing um, for developers, especially develop, well, developers in the cloud who, you know, they used to be writing a bunch of code, whether it was, you know, JavaScript or Python or Java, whatever it was. And then all of a sudden now they have to switch context and be like, all right, now I have to write a YAML file um, in order to configure my cloud resources right. um, and that sort of back and forth. So, um, yeah, that marrying of, of basically saying like a programming language for the cloud, um, you know, is, an, is a really interesting concept. And, and I think the distributed cloud notion funnily enough, is a big enabler of that. Because like, I don't know, the other tension I see right now is like, let's say you wanted to use Lambda, you wanted to use serverless functions, like that only works in your cloud environment. But like, you're also running something at the edge, or you're running something in your data center. So you're forced to kind of use different approaches, which tends to force you to kind of some common denominator models, like, right, right. And so you're, you're kind of holding back from really adopting some of these newer models because of the diversity. Well, if cloud goes everywhere and those services go everywhere, then now I can just say, well, I'll use the serverless model everywhere. And so I can really deeply adopt it. So I think the distributed cloud thing will open up the opportunity to embed these approaches more deeply in kind of day-to-day -day development activities. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I'm all I'm all for that approach because I think this this uh, split brain sort of uh, approach to it is uh, is getting very complex um, yeah. and uh, is not super easy. So, um, so is there anything else um, that you'd like to let the listeners know about uh, IBM Cloud Code Engine? No, I mean I, I think we touched on a lot of the motivation behind it and the kind of core capabilities. You know, I would just encourage you to to go check it out. Go check out the space. Go give it a try and. And uh, love to hear people's feedback as they do that. Awesome. Well, first of all, I, I got to make sure I thank IBM Cloud for sponsoring this episode because um, y the just the the team over there and everything that that all of you are working on is amazing stuff. And I appreciate the support. We appreciate the support in the community for for what you're doing. So, if uh, people want to find out more about you or more about Cloud Code Engine, how do they do that? Yeah, you can find me on uh, on Twitter, JR McGee, or LinkedIn. Uh, for me personally, I love to talk to people. Uh, for Code Engine, I think the best place to start is uh, is the product page, which is uh, ibm.com slash cloud slash code dash engine. And you can from there, you can get to all of the code examples I talked about. Awesome. All right. Well, I will put all that stuff in the show notes. Thanks again, Jason. Yeah, great. Thanks, Jeremy. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Jason McGee for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, IBM Cloud. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 95. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
You can connect with me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.